What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show with me, RJ Young. Today, we have to talk about, react to the college football playoff national championship game. Georgia wins 33-18 to to break a 41-year drought. We're also going to talk a little bit about my way to early top 10. Those of you that watch the CFB on Fox live tailgate presented by FTX got to see Joel Klatt's top 10, way too early top 10. He's very high on that. We differ a little bit, but you'll be, I think, a little bit amazed about how much in sync we are. And I want to talk a little bit about Chuck Ely, who was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame after waiting for, quite honestly, too long for this honor. But let's talk about the game that was Georgia versus Alabama. I mentioned the score 33 to 18, but... Man, did we see a great defensive struggle or not? And it started out just as I thought it would. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Because in the first quarter, we had Devontae Wyatt line up offsides on one play. We saw Jordan Davis get into the backfield. We saw Bryce Young look like he fumbled the football. No, they call it an incomplete pass. And Alabama holds on to the ball. That's one of the inflection points for me here. The other, quite honestly, Jamison Williams, who splits the defense on a seam route where you got two safeties going like this. He catches the ball 40 yards downfield, tries to regain his balance, and lands awkwardly on his knee. We don't know exactly what happened. We just know that he was out for the rest of the game. It's not just Alabama's number one wide receiver. It is their number one or number two wide receiver, depending on how you feel about John Mechie going down in the, what, that's two wide receivers in the last three games for Alabama. And then I just started to think about this. This is Jamison Williams going down, John Mechie going down. Last year, we lost Devontae Smith to the second half of a game that was quite honestly decided and where he had 200 yards receiving in the first half to a hand injury. It just felt awful for the Alabama receiving core and for Alabama wide receiver coach Holman Wiggins, who has been grooming these dudes to show up and play in this way. But... We were going to figure out some things about these four- and five-star wide receivers at Alabama. One of them in Slade Bolden showed up, had a great game, had the most catches for anybody. Bryce Young threw the ball 56 times in this game, but Ja'Cory Brooks just didn't have it like he had it against Cincinnati. Ajay Hall had opportunities to show out. He's going to want some of these opportunities back. He dropped some passes that I know he knows he could have caught. But you put the game in Bryce Young's hands throughout this entire venture, and he had the picks that ended up giving Georgia opportunities to go and win the football game. Defensively, I thought Georgia was elite, right? And one of the things that I had pointed to was the ability for that front seven to get into everybody's backfield, and that includes Alabama's because quite as it's kept, we looked at the scoreboard, we saw a 41-24 SEC championship game, we saw Bryce Young throw for 400-plus yards, we saw three TDs. We also saw no sacks, but those who watched the number one ranked show last week will remember me pointing out these four or five times in the first half alone where Georgia linebackers and defensive linemen had opportunities to put Bryce Young on the ground, and he did his Houdini thing, right? Escaping that pressure and getting the ball out of his hands. Tonight, they were able to get home with a little bit more frequency and had some really... Well, 
quite honestly, game-changing opportunities for QB pressures and even putting him on the ground because just putting Bryce Young on the ground, getting 13-yard losses in the red zone to force field goals is a big deal because we're talking about last game that they had in the SEC championship game. Bryce Young escapes that pressure. He picks up the third down and then scores on the next couple of plays. In this game, that's a field goal. And it felt like that's what the game was going to be, right? We're trading field goals. And I, as a football lover, love a defensive game because I'm getting to see offenses and defenses check and counter check each other, right? I'm seeing a great chess match. I understand that that's not what the casual fan wants to see, but hey, man, when I get two outstanding defenses, I appreciate the heck out of it because NFL people were all about this, not to say that I want a game that is going to get more NFL people into it. They're already taking our top 2% every year. It is to say, you appreciate how fast Alabama is up front. You appreciate how fast Georgia is up front. And you also appreciate these odd fronts that you saw from Alabama and Georgia. They both run a 3-4. Many people want to ask why. It's because the offensive line doesn't get to adjust in ways they want to. It's difficult for those guys to get to the second level to go and get those linebackers to clear running lanes. When you're lining up over centers and guards, those guys have to be occupied with those guys in the middle. And when you got a Devontae Wyatt, when you got a Jordan Davis, when you got a Jalen Carter who can block field goals, that's more than just a little bit. And then you got Nolan Smith on the outside. You got Channing Tindall that can come in there and sack your quarterback. And you got N'Kobe Dean seeking whom he may destroy. All you're asking for is your back end to hold up. And I thought that was going to be an important aspect of this game, regardless of how it went. And I was right. You had guys like Lewis Sign show him to, to play. Christopher Smith, who got torched in the SEC championship game, is making plays. And then my favorite, Keely Ringo, who had been picked on the SEC championship, who I highlighted as a guy that Alabama should pick on in this game, had the game ceiling pick six to finish it, a former five-star out of Saguaro who was fighting his way at corner. He's a dude that looks like an outside linebacker if you see him. I was very excited for him. Another aspect of this that I thought was really interesting is there was this stat that was floating around. Uh, we got this from the crew at Fox Sports. Our research team does a great job. UGA is 57-5 and five in games where Kirby Smart had a lead after the third quarter. To which the natural joke here is, unless Alabama has the ball on second and 26, right? I thought it was going to go that way. I thought, especially as Stetson Bennett fumbles the football again, that we were looking at perhaps a Tua situation. I was saying that if Kirby Smart has a two on the bench in the form of JT Daniels, in the form of Carson Beck, in the form of Brock Vandegrift, that's who he should go play with. And he said, no, RJ, I trust my quarterback. I don't care that he's a two-star. I don't care that he walked on from Blackshear, Georgia. I don't care that he left Georgia to go play Juco ball, win 10 games to prove he needs to be a scholarship quarterback at Georgia. I care that he's my guy. They went to go get Dwan Mathis. They went to go get JT Daniels. They went to go get all Jamie Newman, anybody they could. To keep that dude playing quarterback and all he did was show up to be your starting quarterback the last two years and get you a W in winning time. Now, if Georgia had lost this game, I would be here talking to you right now about how Stetson Bennett lost this game for Georgia. Instead, I'm talking to you about how Stetson Bennett won this game for Georgia because when it matters most, 
He found Brock Bowers on a third and goal to go get six. When it matters, he turns an offside into a 50-50 ball for Adonai Mitchell to go say, hey, look, go beat the junior college transfer in Kyrie Jackson. I think you can do this. I'm going to put it in the corner, and I'm going to say, hey, big fella, go get it. And that's what he did. He saw matchups that he could exploit. In the first half, he took advantage of one that I also alerted you, number one ranked show fan to, which is George Pickens lined up on Jaquincy McKinstry. It's a five-star on a five-star, but it's a junior in George Pickens on a true freshman in Jaquincy McKinstry and Kool-Aid got stirred like George Pickens found an extra cup of sugar. 52 yards on that pass. And it was there for them all day long. This is also why Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, for that matter, recruit like they do. These injuries happen, right? We talked about John Metzi and Jamison Williams. We haven't mentioned Josh Job, right? Their number one corner out for the season. So you have to put a Kyrie Jackson or a Jaquincy McKinstry into the game at a time when you're not necessarily comfortable doing that. And this team is very, very young, which you know leads me into our top 10 we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I'm also just enthusiastic about what Georgia has done and how they did it, right? Because if they'd have beat another team for the national championship, it'd have been great and we'd celebrate it. But if you're Kirby Smart, if you're a Georgia Bulldog, you want Bama. You're holding the sign. You got it up. It says we want Bama because everybody would tell you, you didn't beat Nick Saban. You didn't beat Alabama. There's only been one assistant head uh, assistant coach to beat Nick Saban as a head coach, and none of those dudes, Jimbo Fisher, have been on his Alabama staff. And Kirby Smart, who might be Nick Saban's best assistant coach ever, and quite frankly, his most loyal for the longest amount of time, felt like the guy that should do it. And he had an opportunity to do it four years ago. He had an opportunity to do it in 2020. He had an opportunity to do it in the SEC title game. No W's until tonight. And shout to him for the mindfulness of all of this, right? A lot of how football coaches go about their lives and how they recruit to their teams and how they talk about their programs is about language. It's about how they speak, not just to their players, but to us, right? When they're talking to members of the media. So when he's asked questions about, hey, do you feel any pressure to win a national championship? It's been 41 years. You were in the secondary as an all-SEC player the last time you felt like you had an opportunity as good as this one. And Kirby Smart said, look, that's not what I'm thinking about. It's just not how we work here. We're thinking about beating Alabama, right, with the next game. And to his credit, his kids tried to douse him with the Gatorade tub in the Orange Bowl for beating Michigan, and he would not allow it. Uh-uh. No, sir. You do not get to celebrate winning a semifinal game. Uh-uh. As, as the kids say, job's not done. And Georgia took that energy into this game, and it showed up and paid dividends in the second half. But I'm still impressed by all of the ways in which this went down. I mean, Look, this could have gone bad. Christian Harris gets into your backfield, sacks you. It looked like an incomplete pass. It looked like, at the le very least, you know, fumbles out of bounds. And here comes Brian Branch just kind of scooping it up on his way out of bounds. I don't even think he knew that he recumbled the football in bounds. But the referees, there's a reason they're calling the national championship game because they saw something everybody else did not. 
Everybody else looked at that and said, no, fumbled out of bounds. It's Georgia football. No. Referee said, no, Alabama got that ball one foot inbounds. And they were right. And it felt like right then, right there, Nick Saban and Alabama were going to do what they were always going to do, right? No. Carson. Carson. Stetson Bennett shows up and says, I can still do this. I can still go get us a W. And that's exactly what he did. And then 54 seconds left. Keely Ringo seals it up. So I want to go back to this topic bar we had just a second ago. What does it mean for Georgia? It means you are one of the best teams in college football, if not the best team in college football going into next year. We'll talk about that a little bit. It also means that you ought to be here parentally. Because we don't see this very often. The last time we saw something like this, it was Clemson, right? 2016 National Championship game. Perhaps Georgia has taken over that spot. And it'll be interesting to see how this goes in the offseason because obviously Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator at Georgia, is going to be the new head coach at Oregon. He's going to have a national championship for his, for his time at Georgia. What does Kirby Smart do? Does he elevate Glenn Schumann to that spot? Does he try to go get another coordinator? Does he go back to calling the defense? These are things I want to know. It's also, what do you do at quarterback? I think you got talent there, but do you trust any of those guys the way that you trusted Stetson Bennett, right? There's lots of questions that they have to answer, and I think they're in a great position to answer them all. More interesting question for me, though, is what does this mean for Alabama? Because Nick Saban hates how we talk about his football program, right? And I get that. I get Nobody really respecting your journey, respecting what he calls the process. I understand how it feels for success to be taken for granted, for winning to feel cheap. I got a couple of friends that are diehard Alabama fans, and the thing that we talk about the most is how Alabama fans don't really check in to the season until December because they expect to be there. They expect to be in the SEC championship game. And it has made them a little bit complacent and a little too used to winning in a way that Georgia fans ain't going to paint Indianapolis red tonight. They're, they're, they're going to be beside themselves, right, because they know what this means. Now Nick Saban gets to tell us, and more importantly his players, you're not that good, we're not that good. See, you can get your butt kicked. You can get your butt kicked by unranked Texas A&M with a backup quarterback, and you can get your butt kicked by the number one team now in college football in Georgia, a team that you beat by 17 points in the SEC title game if your mind isn't right. Jamison Williams goes out, yes, that changes things for you. Not having John Mechie changes things for you. But you had a bunch of young cats that perhaps thought that they had done something because the 2020 team had done something. And that's one of these things I think every football coach that has had a successful season has to fight. Right? He has to say, that's the 2020 team. Y'all haven't done diddly squat. Right? How does it feel to have an SEC championship game or a championship win if you are going to be the runner-up in the national championship? That's not what Alabama football is about for him. So he gets to say tomorrow, now we got to get back to work. Now y'all have something to chase. Now, nothing is sure, and I really am looking forward to seeing how Alabama responds to that because the last time they felt that, they got beat down 44-16 by Clemson, and they responded 
more or less in kind. Like they had injuries in that 2018 or in that 2019 season, but it felt like they were going to get back to where they were doing. And they went undefeated in 2020, and they got back to the national championship game in 2021. There's no reason to believe they can't do it in 2022. I also am interested to see what this means for, you know, the guys coming back on that team. Because when Jamison Williams going out, we'll find out the extent of his injury, I'm sure, in the next 24, 36 hours uh, about whether or not it's the worst, which could be a blown ACL or whatnot. But he is one of the best wide receivers available in this draft. Does he choose to return to Alabama where they have done a magnificent job rehabbing other dudes and their knees and their shoulders and what have you? Or does he choose to just go straight to the league? I'm going to be interested because I think that's going to change the calculus for how we feel about Alabama. Because Bryce Young and Jameson Williams have an argument for the best quarterback wide receiver duo in college football. Now, Ohio State fans are yelling at me about C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. And I'm saying, you have an argument too. Right now, I can't call it. That's my point. That's what I'm saying. I also think it's really fascinating to take a look at guys like Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and what they're going to do with middle linebacker as well because Alabama has this unique front in that they could trust those two outside linebackers to act as ends and as nine techniques and to cover hooks and flats, right? They have these hybrid safeties that play inside linebacker in Christian Harris and Henry Toto, which is why when you saw number 10, Henry Toto, while coming on the blitz, you understood that it had to happen because math, but he's getting rolled up because, you know, he ain't the biggest dude in the world. That's not Jeremiah Trotter going at a center. That's basically Bob Sanders, right? That's a short, stout tackling machine. Now, Henry Toto, uh, led the team in tackles. But that's all he does, right? What are you going to do with that? Now that now that you know, is he coming back, right? What do you do with Christian Harris? He's coming back. Jordan Battle, these sorts of questions that I want to get answered. I had this written down. I think it's just interesting to raise to you which Stetson Bennett would show up in the national championship game. And the answer's all of them, right? Like, it's, it's all of them. And then for, for Nick Saban over here, who suffers a second loss to a former assistant this season. He's like, hey guys, I lost two games this year. I lost two games the last two years. They happen to be to Jimbo Fisher, who has won a national championship as a head coach and who has broken Alabama's record uh, for recruiting rankings this year already before signing day. And the other one's Kirby Smart, who won a national championship tonight. So both of those guys are really, really good. I guess that's the other thing that we could say about Nick Saban is that the legacy for that man is only growing because now his tree has two national champions on it in addition to himself. I don't know that you could do much better than that, right? Like I think about coaching trees that way. Like the 2015 coaching staff at Alabama is elite. It's got Nick Saban at head coach, right? It's got Kirby Smart at defensive coordinator. Uh, it's got Lane Kiffin at offensive coordinator. It's got Mario Cristobal at outside, uh, or excuse me, at offensive line. You've got Mel Tucker coaching on that team. you got Dan Lanning as a GA on that team. Like, it's it's really kind of sick and nasty. Now that I mention it, Dan Lanning's got a national championship. <laughs> like, 
as an assistant, as a coordinator, in addition to having one as a uh, grad assistant. So I'm excited about that. I'm, I really can't wait to dig into that in the offseason and continue to build Nick Saban's legacy. And I know a lot of people are not excited about Nick Saban, but I am because I've never seen this sort of dominance in the sport. You know, uh, for a bunch of people that really want to tell me that we don't need to expand the playoff, if anything, we need to retract it. I'm going, y'all hate Nick Saban because that's what it would be. It'd be a bunch of us talking about Nick Saban even more so than I do now. Okay, 33-18, national championship for Georgia. Excited about them. We'll have more to say about them as we enter the offseason. But now I want to talk about my way too early top 10. I'm going to preface this by saying I have a way too early top 25 as that on FoxSports.com that you can go check out. But we're going to go through the top 10 here, and I'm going to go number one to number 10. And if you watch Joel on the CFB on Fox Tailgate, you'll see there's a lot we have in common here. Okay, So number one, I got Alabama. I put a premium on returning starting quarterbacks. And if Jamison Williams does decide to return, as I mentioned, that's an argument for the best quarterback wide receiver duo in the sport. I also think Will Anderson is that dude, just like you. And I think he's going to be a front runner for every defensive player of the year honor there is and could have the kind of season uh, that Chase Young had in 2019 at Ohio State. Speaking of Ohio State, you'll see at number two, I got Ryan Day in Ohio State on the strength of that Rose Bowl win, but also on the strength of his hires here recently, right? He replaces his offensive line coach with UCLA's offensive line coach, I believe it's uh, Justin Tinsley. I got to go check that out. But I know it's the UCLA offensive line coach. Then, before that, he hires former Oklahoma State defense coordinator Jim Knowles to be his defense coordinator. And that's the one that Buckeye fans are very excited about because their defense was boo-boo to start the season. Kerry Combs accepts the demotion. Matt Barnes starts calling the plays. They got a little bit better against not-so-good teams. And then got run on by Michigan. That can't happen if you're an Ohio State fan. That has to change. And then you saw Jim Knowles and that Oklahoma State defense really were carrying Oklahoma State to the second best season in their school's history on, on top of being able to run the football, right? So that 4-2-5, I think it's going to work for them. I think they have athletes in place. They already added Tanner McAllister from Oklahoma State as a safety grad, or grad as a transfer portal grab. And I think that if he gets them going, Ryan Day's offense is going to be Ryan Day's offense because you understand C.J. Stroud is that dude, right? He broke records that were held by Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins in his only season as a starter. He returns Jackson Smith and Jigba, who had 347 receiving yards in an outstanding Rose Bowl game against Utah. That is the all-time bowl record. And that dude was the number three wide receiver on Ohio State's depth chart last year, even if you believe that he was the more talented of the three that included Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who will likely be first-round draft picks in April, right? Add to that, Travion Henderson is seven and a half yards deep, and that guy is an absolute freak show. Hand him the football as often as you can. You're going to put up 40. It's about can you stop people. Number three, talk about Texas A&M. If Max Johnson, LSU transfer, or Haynes King, who's coming back from injury, are good at quarterback, 
Texas A&M should be great. And that's a very big deal for A&M because outside of Georgia winning the national championship, the program that has been starved for the longest amount of time and feels like they have should have been there for the longest amount of time is Texas A&M. They feel like they ha- should have won a national championship since 1939 and haven't. That means A&M has not won a national championship since before World War II. Add to this, they have not won a conference championship in this century. You got to go back to 1998 in the Big 12 for the last time that A&M won a league title of any kind in football. Now, you return dudes. Like, you lost Isaiah Spiller, fine. You got Aeneas Williams, or Aeneas Williams, Aeneas Smith coming back. Put Aeneas Smith in the backfield if that's what you want to do. But also, you're adding an outstanding true freshman class with this signing class. Last year, I was yelling and screaming because Alabama set the record for the highest-ranked recruiting class in rankings history. I mentioned AM broke that record this year. They're studly. They're good. And remember, this is me talking. AM fans and I got history. I'm telling you, you're one of the three best teams in college football in my way too early top 10. Number four, I got Georgia. I don't know about quarterback, right? I'm still sort of skeptical about how you're going to replace that front seven, which was elite and uncanny. Jordan Davis is a monster, okay? Nicobe Dean is a monster. Channing Tindall's a monster. I'm also skeptical about what you're going to do with defensive coordinator. I think Dan Lanning had that job for a reason, as opposed to Glenn Schumann, who was also up for that job the last time they lost a coordinator. I believe that was Mel Tucker who took the Colorado job at the time. I just have questions to answer, but I still think you're one of the four best teams in college football, and you're the reigning national champion. So if you have a problem with it, that's fine. I'll I'll take that. Send all shade to at RJ underscore Young on the Twitters. Number five, I got Michigan. Look, man. This is contingent upon Jim Harbaugh still being the head coach. If he's not the Raiders head coach or whomever's head coach in the NFL in the next few days. It's also contingent on J.J. McCarthy being your starting quarterback. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards being your two bell cow backs in the backfield the way Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum were for much of the year in 2021. And throwing Andrew Anthony to the ball in addition to Eric All, right? I have questions about how... Mike McDonald is going to replace the dynamo that is Dax Hill at safety, but they can do it, right? They recruit well. They play great defense. It's a good staff. They remain intact, and you ought to feel good as the defending Big Ten champion going into next season. So those are my top five teams headed into 2022. Let's talk about six through ten, okay? At number six, I got Sam Pittman and Arkansas Razorbacks. Those of you who have been following me on this journey for a long time know that I have believed in Sam Pittman from the jump. I really loved the hire, and I loved how enthusiastic he was about being Arkansas's head coach. Going back to his introductory press conference, that man was tearing up because it meant so much to him that the folks at Fayetteville tapped him and accepted him. And he has done nothing but throw his heart and soul into the Hogs program, and it is paying dividends, okay? They go into the Outback Bowl, and they beat a really good Penn State team. They return K.J. Jefferson at quarterback, and while they lose their number one wide receiver, they add Jaden Hazelwood, 
who was a five-star and the number one wide receiver coming out in 2019, to their wide receiving core, coming from Oklahoma. Kendall Browse's offense goes fast. They want to score some points, but more importantly, Barry Odom's defense continues to, for the most part, keep people from scoring. I love the way they deploy their linebackers. They're getting guys back that I thought might be eligible for the NFL draft and should go. But I'm I'm here, right? I'm here with Arkansas. It means that I have not one, not two, but three SEC West teams inside my top six. So it's going to be stout. And I think Arkansas could finish as a top 10 team and still be the third best team in all of the SEC West. Like, it's bonkers, but it's it's been done before, right? 2011 being that year, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, we're all pretty doggone good. Number seven, I got Baylor. That is the defending Big 12 champ and the Sugar Bowl champ because, A, Dave Aranda has had a turnaround of turnarounds. 2020, they won two games. They were 2-7. 2021, 12-2. Big 12 champs. They beat Oklahoma, and they beat Oklahoma State in succession, and then beat Ole Miss, right, while also surrendering, like, one touchdown in the Sugar Bowl. And I think they did this without the better of the two quarterbacks starting the game. Because Jerry Bohannon couldn't go in the Big 12 championship, we got to see Blake Schappen show out. And had he been ready to go, I think he might have given them an even larger scoring margin because I just think he's a better quarterback than Jerry Bohannon was, especially based on what we saw in the Big 12 championship game. And then Dave Aranda is keeping both of his coordinators, right? He's getting dudes back in Rob Roberts and in Jeff Grimes that I think were integral to the turnaround and who want to be in Waco. And they've been able to keep him in Waco. And they recruit it well. They develop well. He's got a culture there that they can sustain. I expect them to be in the Big 12 championship game next year, if not defend, if not push for the college football playoff in 2022. And number eight, you'll see I got Notre Dame. I loved elevating Marcus Freeman to head coach. I loved even more Marcus Freeman being able to hold on to Tommy Reese. That means your two coordinators are intact. It means you have a nucleus of young Hungry coaches that are already recruiting the hell out of the of this sport for Notre Dame. You lose Kyle Hamilton, right? An All-American safety. A first-round draft pick. You replace him with Brandon Joseph, who's an All-American defense back at Northwestern. Like, you're already filling in some gaps there. You saw what Chris Tyree was capable of in the Fiesta Bowl, right? Like, I love that tailback. I get that Oklahoma State had a game of games in there. But I'm also looking at what the Irish have done and what they're set up to do. And I really like what they are and what they can can be in 2022. Number nine, I got Utah. I was big on Utah to start last year. And then they dipped and they came back up, right? And I feel outside of Salt Lake City, Utah just doesn't get the kind of recognition that they deserve to get. They're tough. They play hard-nosed defense. They love to be physical in the trenches. He's been a Kyle Whittingham has been able to work through quarterbacks, find a guy that works, find a guy like Tyler Huntley a few years back, starts the season with Charlie Brewer, ends with Cam Rising, gets Tavion Thomas going, right? Finds guys and <laughs> he he got he got punt returns out of a 34-year-old. Like I'm still. I'm still trying to get my head around how long my man has been playing football. I'm going to look him up here in a second. But 
I'm thinking about what Kyle Whittingham has been able to do with parts that nobody's really talking about. Going back to 2008 when they beat Alabama and they were undefeated. Nobody wanted to hand them a national championship game. Nobody gave them a chance in the Rose Bowl. They were there. I think if he uses timeouts, they get more opportunities to try to stop C.J. Stroud and them or get Noel Ruggles to at least kick a longer field goal, and perhaps they can win that football game. All right, number 10, Michigan State. For me, can you replace Kenneth Walker III? I think you can. They go into the transfer portal. They bring out Jalen Berger, who I thought was going to be the starter at Wisconsin this year. Now, I was wrong about that. Ches Malusi shows up, and then later, Braylon Allen. Good God, man. Like, you're going to hear for, I don't know, ever, that that dude's a teenager because he squats 600 pounds and nobody can tackle him. Like, he's a Wisconsin tailback. Like, when you think about a Wisconsin tailback and you think about how they want to play offense, that's the kind of guy I think that is going to take over your brain. Jalen Berger goes to Michigan State where they want to run the football, where they want to feature tailback, and I think that if... Peyton Thorne ends up being that dude. They're going to be okay. Scotty Hazleton, I still think, is a great defensive coordinator. Wasn't great last year. Certainly a secondary could be better, but I trust him and Mel Tucker to figure those things out. All right, for the rest of my top 25, head over to foxsports.com where you can read what those teams are and why I put them where I put them. All right, earlier today... The National Football Foundation announced the 2022 inductees for the College Football Hall of Fame. And while I was really excited to see former Oklahoma safety Roy Williams inducted, I was even more elated to see Chuck Ely inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Chuck Ely is a former quarterback at Toledo. He was 35-0 as a starter at Toledo from 1969 to 1971. He also was undefeated as a quarterback in high school. He's 65-0 and 0 by the time he took his first professional snap. The reason that he had not been inducted to the College Football Hall of Fame before now is he was not voted a first-team All-American by first-team All-American selectors, and that was a prerequisite for consideration. Most people who looked at Chuck Ely's career, the trailblazing he did as a black quarterback, a black quarterback at Toledo, and leading, putting together the only 35-0 winning record as a starting quarterback, felt like enough. And last year, February, Black History Month, I wrote a series of stories, and one of them was about Chuck Ely and just what he accomplished in the sport and what he's accomplished in life, quite honestly, right? Uh, this is a man who was passed over to play quarterback in the NFL and goes to the CFL to play quarterback, puts together an outstanding career, and it became an outstanding businessman in Canada. I got to speak with him earlier this summer uh, as I was researching my book uh, about the Tulsa Race Massacre and just visit with him for a little while. And he was the first guy that I thought to reach out to when I saw this list. And I can't tell you what it meant for me to know that I get to see him, see himself go in next year, that that man is going to get his flowers because I believe that's what College Football Hall of Fames are for. It's for guys like Chuck Ely. Guys like Bob Stoops are going to get in, and we celebrate them, right? But guys like Chuck Ely are why I love the sport and, quite honestly, why I'm sitting in this chair. All right, that is going to do it for tonight's 
episode of the number one ranked show. Uh, we're going to go do, I think, one more show before we take a week off, and then we'll go back to once a week, and we'll update you guys on what the schedule looks like. But again, I've had an outstanding time this season. Uh, I really love doing the show, and I really, really love talking with you. Let us know what you think about the show uh, at wherever you listen to the podcast, in the YouTube comments, Facebook, Twitter. We're taking in all the feedback. Uh, shout out to Tyler Wojak, who helped me all night tonight put together this show. Our producer, Catherine Donnelly, who has been my number one <laughs> since last summer um, and has helped me grow as I host this show. And we've had... We've... We've learned so much from each other. Um, I really love this team, and I really love what I do. All right, that's it for me. Doses.